0: You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson.
1: Today's reading is from Mark chapter 6 verses 30 to 52. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of fish and bread. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to show you
0: a 30-second movie clip from the original Star Wars movie where Luke contemplates his future. And I want you particularly to listen to the music playing in the background. That music's called The Force Theme, and it's one of the most well-known pieces of music in movies going around. Uh, Written by the brilliant John Williams, uh, it appears in each of the Star Wars movies, but in a different way. So in the clip that you just heard, where we first hear it, it uses a horn and wind and stringed instruments in a gentle and lyrical, almost a fragile way. But later on in the same movie, it appears in in strong and strident terms and it uses trumpets and trombones as Luke grows in confidence and power in using the force and as the once fragile resistance uh, grows in its confidence in fighting against the evil empire. And that same piece of music appears in the more recent Star Wars trilogy as well. So in the movie, The Force Awakens, episode seven, uh, it appears in the climactic battle at the end of that movie where the character Rey is fighting against Kylo Ren and she uses the force to, to reach for a lightsaber. And that little clip of music just plays at that moment. And for viewers who are familiar with what's gone before, they know the story as it's unfolding. They hear that music and it's a hint, it's an allusion to the fact that this ray is the the new hero, the new character who will use the force to fight against evil. Uh, And this sort of thing happens in a variety of art forms where there's allusions to what's gone before, a picking up of themes or motifs. You see it in movies, you see it in poetry, you see it in art and you see it in the Bible as well. Uh, We've been looking at the theme of the Good Shepherd, like this piece of music, these notes that you hear that are picked up by different biblical authors to allude to things that we've heard before in the Bible story. So this Theme music of the Good Shepherd, we heard it first in Psalm 23, which spoke about God as the Good Shepherd and what God is like as the Good Shepherd, providing all our needs. But then we heard the music take on a sinister note uh, when we looked at Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34, where there were bad shepherds who appeared who didn't reflect God's good character, but exploited and abused the people and the result was that the people were scattered and in trouble. But even in those dark times we heard God's promises for the future where God himself said I will search for my sheep and I will appoint a good shepherd over my people. And then last week we looked at Luke 15, where we see Jesus speaking about the good shepherd who goes searching for the one lost sheep to restore them to the flock and to bring the complete flock together. And there are hints in that context that even as Jesus speaks about the good shepherd, that he's actually being the good shepherd. He's searching for lost and outcast people and seeking to bring them to himself. Well, in today's passage from Mark chapter 6, we hear the Good Shepherd theme playing again, and it picks up these notes from the earlier episodes in the Bible, and it highlights particularly how Jesus is this Good Shepherd. He is the fulfillment of these promises that we have heard from God. He's the new hero. He's the new hope for humankind. So I'd love you to grab your Bibles and look at it with me. So in verse 30, we read that Jesus' disciples, his followers, uh, they're called the apostles here because he's sent them out just a little bit earlier in Mark chapter 6, verse 6. He sent them out to teach about God's kingdom and what it's like and to do miraculous works as well. And so they're reporting back to Jesus here on what they've done. And evidently, they've been very successful because people are crowding around them. They want to hear what they've got to say, and they want to experience the healing and the miracles that the disciples, as well as Jesus, are offering. And it's so busy that they don't even have a space, space to eat. And so in verse 31, Jesus says, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Right, it's time for some R&R, Jesus says. Let's get away from the busyness and the crowds. And let's go away together into the desert. Now, uh, that word isn't actually used in our Bible translation here. And this is one of those cases where we're not not really helped that much by this particular translation because the location that we're dealing with here is really key to this passage. And three times in our Bible passage, the word desert or wilderness appears. Uh, Verse 31 a quiet place, verse 32, a solitary place, verse 35, a remote place, they're actually all the same word, desert or wilderness, right? As as real estate agents say, location, location, location. Uh, Mark says, desert, desert, desert. It's really important. The location that this all takes place actually helps us to hear some of those key notes from the Bible's theme song. It helps us to hear the notes from the Good Shepherd theme song, but there's another uh, theme song playing as well, which is what you might call the the Exodus theme song, Uh, harking back to where Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the desert. So this is a complex tune. It's got different uh, notes playing in harmony together. But the trouble with Jesus' plan to escape with his disciples to the desert is that people see where they're going and they race to meet them there. In fact, they get there before them. So when the boat lands, the people are already there waiting for them. The the promised R&R turns out to be a working holiday, except without the holiday. And that brings us to verse 34, which is really key in this passage. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So rather than being annoyed by the fact that this time alone, this time out with the disciples has been disrupted, we read here that Jesus' heart is moved with compassion. It's really important to just pause and note that. What motivates Jesus when he looks at the people is love. His heart breaks for them. He realises their need and he loves them. Everything that Jesus undertakes in his ministry is motivated, empowered, driven by love for people, compassion for people. Now, why is Jesus' heart moved here? Because the people are like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, There's that theme song playing again in the background. Do those notes sound familiar? Well, they should sound familiar, and they certainly sounded familiar to the people at the time who really knew the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, because that phrase has come up a number of times in the Old Testament. Here's a couple of examples. In Numbers 27, having led Israel through the desert for 40 years, Moses is approaching his death. And so he asked God to raise up a new leader. This is what he says, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. He wants to make sure that someone will follow him and that the people will be cared for. And so God appoints a successor to Moses, a man named Joshua. Now, as it happens, Joshua and Jesus are exactly the same name. They both mean the same thing, God saves. It's just that Joshua is the Hebrew version and Jesus is the Greek version of that same name. So it raises the question, is Jesus the new Joshua? Is he the new leader of God's people? Is he the one who's going to take them out of the wilderness into the promised land? Is he going to be the one through whom God saves? But that same phrase, sheep without a shepherd, also comes up in Ezekiel 34, a passage that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. In the context of that passage, God has criticised the human leaders, the human kings of Israel because they've been bad shepherds, they've been neglectful, they've been exploitative. And he says this in Ezekiel 34 verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. So as Jesus looks at this crowd, he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd because they've had bad shepherds leading them. They've been exploited, they've been abused, they've been neglected. Now immediately before the passage that we've read as our Bible reading today, we've seen a bad shepherd, a bad king at work. Because we read in verses 14 through to 29 about King Herod, who was a puppet king. He was put in place as the king of Israel by the Romans who were the invading power. And in these verses, we read about Herod hosting a banquet for his friends. It's all the rich and the powerful who are there, and they're all getting drunk and, and eating expensive food. And in the middle of the party, a girl gets up and dances. And Herod's really impressed by the dance that she does. And he's probably drunk. And so he offers her whatever she wants. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Now, the girl's mother is a woman called Herodias, who's married to Herod. And she's got a grudge against John the Baptist. John the Baptist has preached against Herod. Herodias and Herod saying that they shouldn't be married to each other and so she's got a grudge against him and she tells her daughter ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter and Herod's unable or unwilling to go back on his word in front of all his rich and powerful friends and so he gives her what she wants. So this godly man, this prophet of God, John, his head is brought in bloodied on a platter for the entertainment of this party. It's the height of of power and privilege and abuse and exploitation. Injustice. It's got all of the hallmarks of what we saw in terms of bad shepherds, bad kings of Israel in the Old Testament. It's the sort of stuff that God has criticised. It's no wonder that when Jesus looks out, he sees sheep without a shepherd. They've had bad shepherding. There's exploitation, abuse, neglect, and injustice taking place all around them. And the people are crying out for someone to lead them well. We need to remember too that John the Baptist, who's just been put to death, is Jesus' cousin. Now, in that culture at the time, which was very much about honour and shame, and where people had responsibilities for near relatives, there's a question here about whether Jesus should be stepping in to do something to restore the honour of his family because his cousin has been killed in this shameful way. And we start to wonder, what's drawing this this crowd? It's a big crowd, 5,000 men, we're told. It's emphasised that it's men. What are 5,000 men doing in the desert with Jesus? That's more than the population of the surrounding towns. That's a lot of people. Uh, And maybe it's starting to sound a bit like a military force that's being gathered. Certainly later in the passage, they they are grouped in terms of hundreds and fifties, which sounds like military units, and that note's playing there in the background as well. And in the equivalent passage in in John's Gospel, uh, it's explicit that these people want to make Jesus the king by force. So it's a bit of a moment here. With all of these people gathered around Jesus, is this a time to, to start an uprising? Uh, is this the moment where Jesus is going to step in and do something? I mean, these people have seen Jesus' miracles. They know he's got power. Uh, they're sickened by the bad leadership that they're seeing, the exploitation, the, the rule by foreign powers in their own country. They're ready for something to happen. It's a key moment. Uh, we've seen that Joshua was a military leader. Uh, We've heard promises that God will send a king like David, who was also a military leader. Both of those men, Joshua and David, fought off foreign military powers. Is this the moment? Is this what Jesus has come to do to rid the land of these people? What's Jesus going to do? Well, how does verse 34 end? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Jesus' compassion for the people, his recognition that they need leadership, leads him to teach them. Now, we don't have the exact contents of what Jesus taught them on that day, but we can take a pretty good guess at it from the other teachings of Jesus, places like the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your left cheek also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, rather than inciting a crowd to violence and insurrection, Jesus teaches them. He teaches them, no doubt, about God's upside-down, grace-filled kingdom. In the words of Psalm 23, verse 3, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. In this moment, there's a wrong way to act, to incite violence But instead, Jesus teaches them the right way, how to live for God in the midst of this difficult situation. And clearly his teaching is utterly compelling. They listen to him all day, so much so that they get to the end of the day and they realise that no one's had anything to eat. Uh, Maybe you've got so focused on things that you've been doing that you suddenly realise that you haven't had lunch. Sometimes you get in that zone. Here that seems to happen as they listen to the teaching of Jesus. And so having fed them spiritually through his teaching, Jesus now feeds them physically. First, he tests his disciples by telling them to feed the crowd. You're kidding, Jesus. I mean, that'd take more than half a year's wages. That's too much. Well, what have you got? Uh, Five loaves and two fish. That's, That's it. So in verse 39, we read, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups On the green grass. Ooh, did you hear that note? Green grass. Why does Mark emphasize that? Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, It's an allusion to what has happened that Jesus makes this small amount of food miraculously multiply so that people have enough to eat. They're satisfied. And there's so much food that there's actually 12 baskets of food left over, an abundant provision for the people of God in the desert. There's another Good Shepherd note playing here as well. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Uh, Jesus is the host who provides a banquet for these people. In the shadow of Herod and his violence and his exploitation, there's an abundance, there's an overflowing provision. Now, nowhere in this passage does it say, Jesus is the good shepherd. But the notes are all playing as the scene unfolds. And if you've got an ear tuned into the music, you can hear these notes playing. Mark very beautifully in this passage describes this miraculous event, this miraculous feeding as a good shepherd moment. The sheep who have been scattered and are without a shepherd have found their good shepherd in Jesus. God's raised up a successor to Moses. He is the Joshua, the Jesus, the the one who means God saves. The good shepherd is leading his sheep in right paths and the good shepherd is supplying the needs of his people. The instruments are all playing the good shepherd theme song and the music is coming to a crescendo here and it's all pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. If you know the theme song, if you listen to the notes, You can't possibly miss it, except you can miss it because that's exactly what the disciples do. Our passage goes on to describe a further miracle of Jesus where he walks on water and calms a storm. But listen to how the passage ends, verse 52. They, the disciples, were completely amazed for they hadn't understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. What hadn't they understood about the loaves? I mean, yes, they understood that Jesus had fed the crowd, that suddenly it had gone from five small loaves to food enough for 5,000 people with leftovers. They understood that a miracle had happened. So what didn't they understand about the loaves? Well, I think they missed the significance of who Jesus is what the miracle was meant to show, that Jesus is the one who is the key figure in all of human history, that all of those promises that God had made in the Old Testament come to their fulfilment in Jesus. The the miracle's not supposed to just be a wow moment, isn't that incredible, but to draw us to look to Jesus, to turn to Jesus and to respond to Jesus. God's promise that he would send a good shepherd to care for his sheep is fulfilled in Jesus. God's promise that he himself would come and search for his sheep and gather his sheep together is fulfilled in Jesus. When the people of Israel were starving in the desert, God provided bread for them. He brought manna down from heaven. And now Jesus provides food for God's people in the desert. We need to look at Jesus and we need to say, here is God amongst his people. Here is the key moment where God himself enters history. This is it. It It's all happening. He's the good shepherd. He's the great king. He's the one that God has promised to send. He's God himself gathering his lost sheep together. See, we can see what Jesus does. We can know the facts about Jesus. We can even participate in the activities of his people, like the disciples were doing at the time, and yet we can miss the significance of who Jesus is. In the words of this passage, our hearts can be hard and fail to be drawn to Jesus and respond to Jesus. So here's the question, having looked at this passage today. Do you understand? Is your heart softened towards Jesus and recognising who he is? You see, if Jesus is the good shepherd, if he is the one that this theme song is all about, the words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, If that's actually about Jesus, then it's an expression of faith towards him. To say to Jesus, Jesus, you are my shepherd. With you, I lack nothing. To look to Jesus and to say to Jesus, Jesus, you are the one who can provide my needs. Jesus, you are the one and the only one who can truly satisfy me. No one else and nothing else can do it in the way that you can. If we truly understand what is happening here, if our ears are are tuned in to the music that is playing, then we have to respond to Jesus. We have to recognise who Jesus is, and we need to have soft hearts turning to him in trust And independence. Now, maybe you've never done that with Jesus. Maybe today is the day that you need to do that. To say to Jesus, Jesus, I think I understand who you now are. And I actually want my heart to be soft towards you. I want to trust in you. I want to depend in you. I want to respond to you, and I want to follow you as my good shepherd. If you've never done that, we encourage you to do that. You can talk to Jesus. He's listening right now. You can turn to him and speak those words in prayer to Jesus, responding to him and expressing your dependence on him as the good shepherd. And we'd love to help you in that. If this is the day that you make that decision and turn to him and do that, please let us know. Please uh, connect with us. Please drop us a note here at St John's so that we can help to encourage you and help you and, I guess, guide you along those next steps as you begin that journey with Jesus as your good shepherd. But for others, uh, you might already be doing that and following Jesus as the good shepherd. But again, we need to make sure that our hearts remain soft towards him and that we do continue to understand who Jesus is as our Good Shepherd. It's one of those things where it's a daily decision to express our dependence on Jesus as our Good Shepherd, to say, Jesus, today I recognise that you provide my needs, that you lead and that you guide me. Help me to understand more fully today who you are and help my heart today to be soft towards you, to depend on on you and and guard me from becoming hardened and misunderstanding who you are and how I should follow you today. Today, again, to express to Jesus that we lack nothing with him, that he is the one who truly satisfies us, that he is the one who feeds us and nourishes us both physically and spiritually. Asking Jesus today to guide us along the right paths, to live in the right way as he leads and guides us as his good shepherd. Having a soft heart towards him, recognising him as our good shepherd today and every day.